Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Syracast episode 20. Guys, we made it. Yeah. Pay no attention to the man already. behind the curtain. <laughs> there is no man behind the curtain. I'm in front of the uh, curtain. You, so just pay no attention to you at all? Pay no attention uh, to anyone near a curtain at all. The man that you're not supposed to pay any attention to, Douglas Soltis. How are you, sir? Hoi hoi. I am Fridaying out. You are Fridaying out, uh, and uh, you look good doing it. Thanks, buddy. Uh, Jay McIntyre, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm pretty good. You look I just super clever today. Thanks. Yeah. The glasses. I love the sweater uh, collared shirt combo. You're and the glasses. Nice, guys. The glasses are my fave. That's because I think I have an eye infection from from our boss Ian, who's oh my God. Uh, currently at home. <laughs> I'm so worried about that. My left this eye is the is so eye red. infection that he had to go to the emergency room with last night. So yeah. So we hope you get better, uh, big guy. Uh, mostly because we don't want to get it. Patience. Yeah, but I, I was wearing contacts, and now I'm, I was, they were all scratchy, so now I feel paranoid that I'm going to get infected. Um, but uh, I was at a Rogers event earlier, hopefully not infecting the entire executive team there, and I had a chance to talk to Guy Lawrence, the new CEO, on the occasion of Rome Like Home, which is a new initiative that allows anybody use, that has a share everything plan, one of Rogers' new uh, you know, all-encompassing share plans that has unlimited uh, talk and text and voicemail and a big bucket of data that you can share with up to 10 devices. Anybody who has one of those to spend $5 a day down in the U.S. and go uh, go nuts with their, uh, with their, with their plan. So uh, that's really interesting. Um, it's a lot cheaper than buying a, a traditional bundle. And uh, all you do is you text travel to 222 right before you leave and uh, that that way you get opted in and uh, you spend five dollars a day up to 10 days max so fifty dollars a month total and you can use your data bucket that you spend in canada in the u.s so potentially saving you quite a bit of money uh this was actually heralded as one of roger's more satisfying offerings we've heard from people in the comments and around the internet in general, that they like this. Doug, do you like this? Yeah, it sounds it sounds really simple to use and uh, decent in terms of what it's providing. Um, you know, we've covered a lot of different companies uh, in the you know past six months to a year who have kind of stepped in as a third party to ease the pain of Canadians traveling in the U.S. And that's because the carriers haven't really stepped forward and provided a... Uh, just a convenient solution. So if, if this is that, then yeah, that's great. Um, I, I don't know what it's going to do to some of the companies that we that we cover, uh, but uh, them's, them's the breaks, I guess. It's it's much easier if you're 
if your service provider is providing you good service. Yeah, well, Rogers said that they have a, a really great deal with AT&T, whereas both of the other sort of up-and-coming roaming competitors, uh, which we'll talk about in a minute, No Roaming, which uh, launched their new sticker this week, and Roamability, uh, they use T-Mobile. And, uh, Jane, you have wind, and wind roams on T-Mobile in the States. Yeah. Uh, you've, what, what do you think? I mean, do you get good service when you're down there? No, I get great service when I'm down there. Um, I, in the past, used T-Mobile. T-Mobile had this thing where you could pay, like, three bucks a day and get um, get 3G data, uh, which was awesome. And I used that until Wind introduced their, their U.S. roaming thing, which was $15, and you just get to, to roam in the U.S., which is awesome because it's just an add-on you can throw on and then take off as soon as you're, you're back home, and it's 15 bucks a month. Um this is for share everything plans, right? This Rogers thing? Only for share everything plans. So that means I'm already paying like like up to $100 a month for my phone service. And then I have to pay $5 a day on top of that when I travel. Yeah, but you... That's st- scam. You get ac- <laughs> uh, no, it's not. I know that it's cash. You get access to... But... But you're not paying... It's basically $5 a day for access to your existing data. Uh, and that's what they said, that nobody really calls or texts when they're in the States. They just use data. So you're spending $5 a day for uh, more data than you would have received using a Rogers bundle previously, which gave you 50 megs for right, 8 bucks a day. Right, which is silly. But that's silly if you look at it from the perspective of row mobility, which is a very different kind of service. And you have to think about people who go roaming they don't want to change sim cards they don't want to worry about signing up for a plan all they have to do for this is opt in once per six months so it's a six month opt-in period they get to roam using lte t-mobile doesn't do lte uh with uh with wind um you roam mobility does have t-mobile lte and it's actually a pretty great service i will admit but there are parts of the u.s where t-mobile's network sucks period yeah, like so just... as, a, as a former U.S. resident, we have to note that um, generally T-Mobile is considered the wind of the U.S., but all of the major carriers in the U.S. have just regions where, like, for every major carrier, there's large cities where their service just sucks. So right. it's, it's, and... it's not like... It's not like Canada where you expect the big three to have great coverage or decent coverage in all the major spots. It's It's very... It can be very region specific, or even like within a state, hit or miss. Um, so it's it's a it's a tougher comparison in terms of where you're getting good service and where you're getting bad. And that's like, true. And and when I said that you know T-Mobile service for me is always is always fine in the U.S., I'm talking that I I exclusively go to like New York, San Francisco, and Las Vegas. Yeah. And that's all for yeah, like but- tech events. So I I have no problems in those three cities. But I'm sure that if I was regularly traveling to the U.S. and to other cities, that I I wouldn't have the same experience. So I have uh, intermittently good service. I, I basically do the same triangle as you, mm. except uh, I spend a lot more time in New York than I do the other two cities. Yeah, T-Mobile in Las Vegas is the same as any other network in Las Vegas when we go down, which is during CES, as in they're all terrible yeah. because everybody in the world is using Outside it. Outside of CES, so, it's actually okay because I've gone quite a few. I, I go quite regularly. Like once a year. Oh right, yeah. So of... you you 
gamble away all your oh, yeah. earnings. All the money that you pay me goes straight to those Vegas strippers. But okay. um, yeah, me too. But yeah, no, I and it, it is it's it's I would say on par with New York outside of CES. Yeah, T-Mobile's good in New York. I have pockets yeah, of decent. Uh, the yeah. Air- yeah, I mean T-Mobile's also gotten a lot better. I think they've improved Very more true. quickly than AT&T has. And I know AT&T was criticized over the last few years for having terrible service in New York City, and they've done a lot to improve that. Uh, but I, I also think that we have to take for granted, or that we don't, shouldn't take for granted that uh, that U.S. networks are going to offer the same service as they do as, as Canadian carriers. And I, uh, I, I really like playing the devil's advocate here because we've, you know, as much as we like railing on the carriers in Canada, our networks are among the best in the world. So we pay a lot, but we also get pretty good connectivity. So, um, I mean, I, this this service is like Rome, like home is just it's mo- mostly about convenience. Five dollars right. a day without, and then you can just call home, call anywhere in the U.S. without having to worry about a new number, anything else like that. No, it is, and convenience is a huge thing too because. I know that when I go, I consider, I'm like, okay, well, I pay three bucks a day for the T-Mobile thing, and then it used to be that I'm like, okay, well, how, m- how many days am I going for, and if it's more than, like, three, four days, then I know that it's worth it to get the, the wind add-on, but there have been times where I've been going for three days, and it would have been cheaper to do T-Mobile, that I'm just like, no, I'm just going to do wind, because it's, it's more convenient, I don't have to find that stupid SIM card that I have lying around, I don't have to, like, change it when I get off the plane, so convenience is, like, definitely something that I think is going to push people on it. Yeah. Even if they're I mean, thinking they're not going to spend five bucks a day in roaming charges, they'll probably be like, eh, why not? But $5 a day is um, not bad when you consider the fact that... I think what they're saying is most people will be buying data buckets through the Share Everything plan that they're not using their entire in, in their yeah. entirety. So if you're spending 60 bucks a month uh, or 65 bucks a month for a 6-gig data plan... You may not use it all. You may only use four and a half gigs, and then that extra gig and a half could just go towards your trip to New York for the weekend. I also think that it could be to to entice people who would generally not even consider roaming, and they would be like, "Oh, I'm not going to use my phone when I'm in America because it's too expensive," and they just kind of they just they just put it in airplane mode and they and they only use it on Wi-Fi. And I think that totally. this would be so like attractive for that because it's like, "Oh, I just have to pay an extra five dollars today." So yeah, if I'm going for a weekend, it's what like ten twenty bucks. Mm-hmm. If I'm going like Friday to Monday, and it's but just it, yeah, I pay twenty bucks, and I and I know that I'm not going to get dinged with like a two hundred dollar roaming charge because I'm so afraid of roaming. Yeah, but they yeah. still have to they still have to manage the calls and the text, right? No, no, those, it's those calls are and texts too. It, it includes okay. like you basically just use your phone like you would at home. Yeah, you, it's it's called the roam like home because if you have a share everything plan, you have unlimited calls and texts in Canada, regardless of where you are. Gotcha. Okay. So they're just extending that plus your data pool that you spend whatever amount, amount per month on okay. to the U.S. Uh, so it, in that sense, I think it's actually quite valuable to people. But we talked about no roaming, and I talked to the CEO earlier this week, Greg, Greg Gundelfinger, really interesting guy. And uh, he told me about this new SIM sticker that you affix to your current SIM card that allows you to basically have s- dual SIM functionality on a phone that only has one SIM. Yeah. By allowing you to connect to networks in over 200 countries uh, with local numbers if you want them, with very, very low roaming rates compared to what you would buy from your carrier. Uh, it's not quite as cheap as, say, Roam Mobility for the U.S., but the sticker has 
a sticker allows you to do unlimited roaming, unlimited data roaming for $8 a day in 55 countries. And that includes the U.S. and the U.K. and many other countries. So that's actually quite interesting. Uh, it, it's, 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 yeah, it's a great, great feature. Yeah, so there's two things with that where you're looking at, A, um, ex- expand, like, you know, we're talking about this uh, Roger service, but it's only, it's only for the U.S., right? So right. for international travel beyond the U.S., you still need another option. Um, the the second thing, the uh, contra that though is that when you look at what the average Canadian would like to do, they'd much rather send a text to their carrier to set themselves up rather than to do like a sticker SIM hack situation. Like I don't think most people even like are aware of the SIM card in their phone. Um, nah, I don't think that's true. No, I I Cuz I think don't... the average consumer is way more aware of the SIM card than like you know the, the Cuz I feel like they're still stuck in like back in the d- people who are like afraid of roaming charges are still stuck in like back in the day when it was like feature phones that were all about like SIM cards. But but feature phones also like back in the day also meant uh CDMA which didn't have a SIM card right like I, I'm not. Yeah, I'm Rogers not, was the only GSM carrier in Canada. Oh, yeah, and then, okay, and sorry. Then, and then in the, in the states, AT and T was the only GSM, yeah. right? So you had uh, back, Sprint and back Verizon. in the day for me it was all GSM. So, so was, yeah. yeah, but I also think that people may understand what a SIM card is. They don't know how it works, and I think that's a big distinction because um, when you talk about something like roam mobility, uh, it's not only does it require you to change your SIM, but it makes you lose your phone number temporarily so what lawrence was saying earlier was you know this is a situation where you can make calls to your loved ones back in canada and it will show up as your own phone number yeah you're you still which i think is important right because um because i was just thinking you know we're, we're talking about rome a lot but uh i i talked with the guys from explora who uh basically provide a service when you're in the states they just ship you a phone with I think unlimited talk and data uh, mm-hmm. for the amount of time you're there, uh, like a like a Nexus phone, uh, just to like all these little headaches that we're talking about. They're basically like, here's a U.S. phone, you can do whatever you want with it uh, for this amount daily, uh, it, trying to be as hassle free as possible. But you're still you're still not you. Uh, you're still using mm-hmm. a different number and and all that. And um, I'm just wondering what you think of that as a as an option yeah. still. I guess it's it's a very it's a good option for people uh, who are who are more just price conscious or even security conscious. Yeah. Because I know a lot of times uh, when you're logging onto another carrier, you may have concerns about uh, logging like um, metadata stuff in the U.S. The NSA, blah blah blah. I mean, these are they sound like they're paranoia conspiracy theories but they're not they're they're legit concerns and i think with something like explora you don't have to log in with your own sim card you're basically anonymous if if you want to be Uh, on the flip side you could also be concerned that they may be plugged directly into the nsa and they may not have your best interests at heart or they may sell your your metadata to marketers as well so i don't know i mean explora is an interesting Solution, but it's a very niche product. I really don't think people yeah. want to give up their own phones. I wish that was true. Like, you're, if you're logged into your services, like the with what um, was it? Glenn Greenwald has revealed, like 
although it hasn't come out yet, Canada is as much a participant in that stuff as the U.S. is. They're part of like that Five Nations program. It's it's Canada, U.S., U.K., New Zealand, and Australia. So the idea that our stuff isn't being logged right now, anyways, is oh yeah, the, the documents haven't come out yet. Extra like, listeners for the podcast is what that is. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly what uh, our carriers want to hear about our government. Um, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I don't disagree with that. I think that Glenn Greenwald has probably done a lot of good for um, the public's knowledge of uh, of what's going on in our in our governments. I think a lot of Canadians don't want to know. I think they're a lot more apathetic about their own security than the U.S. is because of the NSA and about how disconnected we are from the Edward Snowden stuff. I would love to get somebody like Matthew Bragg on here who deals with this well, in much more. We we should talk um, to uh, Jesse Brown because he uh, – so the the week of the, the shooting in Ottawa, mm-hmm. Jesse Brown, independent journalist, uh, used to work for the CBC and do – I can't remember the name of their tech podcast, but he was doing that for a while. Uh, uh, keynoted and did a Q&A with uh, Greenwald in Ottawa mm-hmm. uh, about this. And the one of the revelations was like, you know, they're, they're, they have documents indicating uh, Canada's involvement in this, and they're just they're waiting to come out. Um, and the the big thing there, though, was that uh, it seems with with prior uh, revelations, Canadians were far more interested to know or embarrassed and engaged with the idea that we were spying on other countries than the idea that Canadians are being spied on ourselves and i think mm-hmm. that that specific story was like yeah uh an airport in canada people they were scraping uh metadata from people connecting to the wi-fi and stuff like that um so you know that will be a <laughs> we we kind of went tangent mode here but it's it's, it's a story that's going to drop oh yeah i mean i think there is a reason we brought it up is that it's super interesting in and of itself right and uh you know this this whole privacy versus convenience thing is going to become even more important over the next few years as we begin giving up our data to more and more devices on our body. Yeah, for sure. And mm-hmm. uh, Douglas, you told me about the Vergecast, the last Vergecast, they were talking about the Microsoft band, which isn't available in Canada, but about how Microsoft plans to open that data up to anybody who they who wants it. So it's a bi-directional give and take. Mm-hmm. You you can like the band takes in a bunch of data through its sensors, but then it'll give that data out to any other API that wants it. So HealthKit or Jawbone or Fitbit, anybody who wants to use that data, ideally it could just work. It's a really big Um, platform play for them. And and I think also um, uh, coinciding with that, they, their argument was that they are tracking the best data. Like they're recording data better than anyone else. Um, and then leaving that up for everyone. Um, well, ideally, we don't really know that yet. What is it's only been around for a week? Well, we don't yeah. know it, but that, that's the argument that they're making. They're, they're they're saying they're taking the most precise measurements of all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, what but the- again, I'm skeptical because of again what's something that David uh, Pierce brought up in the podcast was, you know, they didn't really fulfill that promise with Connect. Oh, yeah. Connect was supposed to be this amazing open platform that they would share data with developers and make it really convenient and you'd be able to mod, you know, make it super modular and stuff. And that just never happened. I mean, yeah, it like connect for PC, the original Xbox 360 connect hooked up to a bunch of windows PCs has been really great for 
tinkerers because mm-hmm. there's a bit more opportunity to do that stuff on a PC. But in terms of making gaming more interesting, it really hasn't done a whole lot. No. Yeah, for sure. And be, you know, part of the reason is because they learned their lesson late. They were late on opening that up and having the APIs for everyone to use. They were it was it was platform locked. I think this is an example, and they made the argument of them learning from that. But I think you know the biggest issue that Microsoft has is the gap between um, uh, their what their Shit, I just had a really great turn of a phrase and then I forgot it. Uh, uh, their intentions versus their execution right. is Microsoft's biggest problem. Because they, they promise the moon and they want to get there, and then it never turns out. Like, but the remember, like how used... excited were... So, go ahead. So, Connect is used for a ton of great stuff by developers. It was just like, yeah, it, was, it wasn't commercialized in, in, in a bunch of third-party uses, but Connect is used by for like a ton of great stuff. Because like they were the mostly first hacks, though, right? No, yeah, I know. Yeah, Microsoft they're... did launch Connect for PC, right? So that you could, so that you to, to enable developers to do more with that platform. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I mean, I, I know that there's a there've been a, a ton of hackathons and stuff over the course of since the Connect was released, um, and there it's a worldwide thing. It's just a little bit underground, and I it is true. I, I think that they really messed up when they stopped forcing users to buy it with the xbox one Mm -hmm. uh they they you know a lot of those promises that they made about it being a required part of gaming and how games would be forced to use it that was that they just let developers off the hook too easily and i and i don't know whether in the long run pricing the problem wasn't that they stopped making it mandatory the problem was what the device was doing that made people demand (laughs) <laughs> that it not be mandatory because it was always on it was always watching That wasn't the reason you. though. Yes it was. It was it was using it was up system resources. Too. It was it was price, price too. but it was it was also the fact that like early games that didn't really know how to code properly for the one didn't uh it was actually slowing games down. So a developer that claimed 60 frames per second at 1080p couldn't achieve it because the Connect was using yeah, up true. too that's, many system guys, resources. That's after that's after the release of the system. When it was initially announced, you had governments saying that they weren't going to sell the Xbox One in their country unless there was a way to uh, disconnect the pervasive monitoring. Like, I, was it like Scandinavia or something? It was like, we're not allowing this in our country because it watches you all the time. Okay, yeah, security. So back, yeah. to, the, back to the privacy stuff. In, in yeah, and sec, man, it's hot. That's one of the things that I think uh, there's a company in Toronto that's doing the, the Leo and it's like a fitness band for that you wear around your leg and it's supposed to it's like fitness intelligence and it's supposed to to take the data that you have and it's what's supposed to do is prevent injury so what it does is it takes say that Doug goes running and it basically monitors <laughs> it takes all those all that data and it basically compares that to the data of other people and it says like hey Daniel also went running and when he showed similar data not long afterwards, he injured himself. Yep. They were so, the, uh... hey, Doug, like, be careful because you're you're at risk of injuring, like, you know, what, of, of you know, injuring this muscle or or this this part of your body. But the problem is, is that 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 requires Daniel and Doug to submit their information to the cloud and to and to relinquish that and say, in in order for me to have the convenience and and to have the advantage of it predicting my injuries, I have to agree to share this certain part of my life. Yeah, and the and the the thing there is that they're doing it, that information submitted anonymously. Yeah, um, but, but they were but they were uh, they were a panelist at West 
and that was part yeah. of the the write up that I did. Um, you know, where they were arguing, the only people who have issues with that sort of stuff are maybe our generation or older because they were the final generation to grow up in a world where not everything was shared all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, are um, you guys okay with this? Like, uh, I don't know. Like, I'm well, totally on the boat of like. Yeah, share my location if you can tell me how to get around traffic. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I can. So my only thing is, uh, I got a bit, I got into a bit of trouble with that a few years ago because I was posting photos from my old apartment and I left the EXIF data in there, and somebody mm-hmm. threatened to come in and uh, like find me. Oh, that happens uh, to me as well. Yeah, and uh, I mean, the EXIF data is so precise. Yeah, and it, you, it's so inadvertent. You just you you know when you open a phone for the first time android asks you is it okay to store your location data for your own convenience and you're like yeah of course why would i ever care about that you may want to map out where you took all your photos yeah. and then you realize that that photo that you posted to flickr and made public has your address essentially right there yeah. for everybody yeah. to see well and we've seen so, that with uh we've seen that with gamergate too right where um all oh, these yeah. people have had to leave their homes because they've been able to. Uh, what's the what's the term? Docs. Doxed. Yeah. Doxed. Um, yeah. But so interestingly enough, right before this podcast, or right before we started trying to do the podcast, I was sitting with one of the founders of uh, Onyx Motion, who had their initial announcement at uh, the West Conference, and they their app. Uh, right, I can't remember the name of it, but right now it's. Uh, it's a. It's like Coach or something. Yeah, it's a wearable uh, app that that helps you uh, with your uh, free throw basketball form by mm-hmm. measuring things and 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 giving you recommendations to improve your form. And they're they're looking to expand that to uh, basketball in general and uh, other sports as well. Uh, we had a really interesting conversation. But one of the things that came up uh, during the conversation was uh, the the big emotional gap between. You know, our generation is pretty okay with giving up our location. It's pretty okay with giving up all of our photos, our email address. We share what we're doing all the time. But when it comes to biometric data, like how our, what, what's going on with our body, our health history, our sleep patterns, um, um, our, whether or not we're prone to injury or disease, um, there's a much more – there's a much deeper emotional – reaction against sharing that information oh i disagree or a much greater i think it more so or a greater sense of ownership of that data in no. a way that we don't you disagree i would much rather give someone that that information than than where i live or my photos but you already do all that stuff so no i know but i'm saying if someone said you want to give up your the data relating to like biometric data i would be like yeah sure as long as they weren't asking for my fingerprints like we this is we were talking about the the bionym um it uses your your heart rate your ecg like that mm-hmm. signature to to authenticate and like on that level yeah but if someone was like hey we want to mod- like we want to like take the information that your your fitness band is using to like you know take all this kind of these parameters of your muscles and how they work and, and put it on the cloud for other people i would be like yeah sure whatever and, and then so they can deny you health insurance because because well, you have a four percent chance of getting diabetes at the age of sixty-eight. Yeah, like that's. I mean, that's my concern is that they're going to use all this data to extrapolate assumptions about your future health, and they don't know whether, like, we don't know 
because we don't have access to their algorithms whether that extrapolation is going to be accurate. Right. So we have, you know, we'll have a situation where, uh, you know, you, people will start requiring you to wear some sort of band to prove that you're not a smoker in order to lower your your health insurance or your your car insurance rates, or if you, you know, to to prove that you're like when you've been dinged for DUI, you have to prove that you're not drunk before you get behind a wheel. But this this sort of constant monitoring, uh, it's, it's one step before Gattaca. We're so cynical today. This is unbelievable. Yeah, I know. It, no, no, um, no, no, no. It's not cynicism because it's Friday. A, a the monitoring uh, of our metadata is happening in our country right now. We just don't know oh, about we, it. And, okay, and that B, is that, that, that is not what we. I mean, there's nothing productive. Did you just we, say not, we're not cynical today? They're monitoring our data all the time without no, our knowledge. But, but, it, but it's it's not cynicism. That that's just that's just a thing that's happening. We're acknowledging. We don't that. know that. Yeah. There's no proof of that. Cynicism. No, the Snowden documents like have acknowledged that we're an active participant in a system that's monitoring. Like we're one of the five countries participating in this, and it's been revealed to the extent that it's monitoring people in the U.S. And then <laughs> this specific documents pertaining to monitoring of Canadians in Canada is, is forthcoming. So, like that's that's established. Um, the the issues with uh, the biometric monitoring and, and issues like that. Are, are are not cynical. They're, they're very easy to see the natural... Per- like, we all know that once data's out there, there's no control no, over what true. happens. Yes. So, um, but while that's true, I still think there should be a distinction between biometric monitoring and people being okay with sharing their information. Because, it, like, there's a difference between sharing your location, you know, for traffic <laughs> updates versus... What's the difference between tracking and sharing? I'm Someone saying that in a data. user's mind, there is. It's an opt-in process. Yeah. It's an explicit decision. I mean, we decide these things because they. I mean, we we accept terms of con- terms and conditions or terms of service all the time without reading them. Yes, and that's essentially the same as opting in for you know to companies monitoring us because every time we're signed into Google throughout the web, they're actually using cookies to monitor our what we're doing on the internet. And just this past week, AT and T and Verizon were exposed in a uh, basically a tracking tool to fi- figure out where people are going on the internet. They're injecting code into your browsing. Cookies that you can't get rid of, essentially. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically like, remember, uh, what was it called? Carrier IQ? Yep. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't called Carrier IQ. It was called something else. But they uh, just... Keyboard IQ. Was it Keyboard IQ? They were the ones that were tracking the inputs on keys, right? No, no, no. That, that, you're, you're thinking of Keyboard Cat. That was a YouTube video where the... <laughs> uh, no, it, it, it was called Carrier IQ. Keyboard IQ, I don't think, is the same thing. It was Carrier something, I- but it was, there, was a key, there, was a, there was a thing last year where it came out that U.S. carriers were all employing this one service, or, or some were, that uh, logged every keyboard... Uh, input for some sort of like meta tracking or activity, and then all the all these companies had to come out and say we don't use their data, we don't use them, we don't do this, and like it's just th- there's a need for like all of this relates to you know the opt in. No one has any idea what they're opting into because right. what you're opting into is essentially opening the box. Oh shit, you're <laughs> right. It- okay, so I apologize. We're both right. It's called Carrier IQ. But it was a keylogger yeah. that was pre-installed on a bunch of Android devices from around 
uh, early 2011 to late 2011 until people discovered it and the carriers slash yeah because everyone OEMs lost their were shit. Forced. Well, obviously because it was a root kit and you couldn't get rid of it, and uh, the only way to do that was to root it, was to root your device, and the carriers didn't actually tell anybody that they were doing this, and they denied that the information was being used uh, any uh, with any specificity other than they were just using the metadata. Again, it comes down to metadata. They weren't targeting you. They were targeting the things that you do yeah. to, in order to better market to you. But and we also have That no, hasn't changed. But we also have no idea if that's true or not. That's just a statement that they released after it came out that they were doing this. So I think it goes back to, like, you know, at, at West, uh, the, the hardware makers of these biometric wearables were saying the, the real need here is essentially uh, a data bill of rights. It has to be, like, legally established and regulated. Because otherwise, like, the individual person or vast swaths of society have no input or uh, oversight or awareness of Of what's happening with the technology that they're using. I I certainly don't. Like I, we we work in this industry. We're tech professionals. We have a a general technological savvy beyond the average citizen. Speak for yourself. I am, and for the rest of us, and and we have no idea what's really going on with the consumer electronics hardware that we use. That's that's true to some extent. I mean, so it comes back to a lot of those arguments about if we're writing about this stuff full time. Are we required to know the technical ins and outs of the products that we're using, or are we telling stories? And we're telling on a stories. on a high level, we're accused of, you know, I guess when I first started at Mobile Syrup and before that, I used to write uh, for another publication. I would spend weeks testing and getting every bit of spec data, nook and cranny. I would find out. I mean, I did basically a non-tech type reviews where I would want to know how fast a phone was compared to its predecessor and blah 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 and today we do that to some extent but it's it's become less necessary because of the fact that it's a phone and you can't overclock it and it's everything's so quick and blah 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 you don't really need it did you just like move your cat yeah he was he was trying to uh also let's just fun. say un- unplug my laptop cords so i had to amazing provide yeah. I, I i just saw this like you're throwing a cat <laughs> from the corner of my eye um, but so, so we, going I, back to what you said, it's just whether or not we have a responsibility to investigate this stuff, I don't even know if we have the capacity to, at like a detailed no, 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 level of how this stuff functions beyond beyond like taking a look at the specs, beyond like what's mm-hmm. happening at a underlying system level, like how like how would we even go about investigating exactly what is happening um, at an OS level with a phone or what's happening to the information that's being transmitted over the air, like. What what well, tools I mean, are there? Well, I mean, there are there are tools. There's there are tons of tools. There's there's something called Wireshark, which can basic. It's a packet sniffer, so you can intercept on a variety of of technical levels. I mean, these are tools that I used when I worked at a at my previous company before I worked for Mobile Syrup, and I mean, these are ways to intercept types of traffic. Um, you know, UDP, TCP. Uh, figure out what port things are running on. I mean, these are high-level, like, sorry, low-level type of tools. Uh, but I don't think that benefits most people. Most people don't care, uh, you know, the makeup of a of, of a CPU. They don't really know or want to know yeah. 
what goes into the L2 cache of a Power VR, you know, oh. GPU. They just want to know that their phone is faster than yours, yes. and they'll spend the money to do that. But they also they also want to know that their phone isn't screwing them. Um, but they they can't know that unless they know these things. Like you know the the things that have come out yeah, around but... the NSA or the CIA actively um, participating and contributing in open source projects to leave back doors into systems. The fact that the FBI is trying to get um, to stop Apple from uh, Apple and Google from encrypting device data because they just want to, they need a they want a backdoor to information. But once a backdoor is established, anyone can use it, right? So, Daniel, the tools that you're talking about, like, do exist, but the requirement to know what's going on with the systems that they're monitoring re- requires constant monitoring. No, so- I know. But what we're saying is that we're journalists, and we're a certain type of journalist, and there are enterprise journalists who will know more about the, uh, you know, the non-consumer stuff. And then there are security professionals who are often not journalists but are employed as such uh, because they have a better grasp of the tools necessary to write about it. Uh, and I think that we have to identify our own responsibility in this. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's a certain, it takes a certain type of talent to do what we do, and it takes a certain type of talent to do what they do. And we have to acknowledge our strengths and weaknesses. And... Obviously, it's, it wasn't a, a tech journalist who uncovered Carrier IQ. It was a security professional. Right. And he passed it along to somebody. And the, and the journalists then began writing about it. And they disseminated the story. And that goes back to uh, what Doug was saying about how we are professionals in this area. And, and we still don't know because we're not security professionals. Correct. But we need to know the right people to call when right. that happens. Yeah, but we can't, yeah, we can't be an expert in every field. It's, I think it's our job to put context around the insight, um, which is why you know Snowden didn't go himself. He found good journalists at publications who could go through the data and, and tell, decide what was should be released and what shouldn't, and then and tell that story so he could have a separation from it. I, I would like to maybe throw this out to the listeners to maybe comment and say um, how much they would like us to follow up on stuff like this and do deeper investigations if they'd be interested in, in learning more. Uh, with what's happening with their personal information and their devices, and then maybe we can de- dedicate some time to either getting people on this podcast to talk more about it, or just in our in our regular editorial process, you know, contributing more uh, time to it. Um, I'd also like to know something. Would do you listeners believe the carriers that they have your best interests at heart? I mean. Do you believe them when they say that they're dumb pipes that just want to tra- like to transmit data over the uh, over the airwaves and the cable waves, or do you think that they have another sort of more insidious plan in place? It's I know, not, I it's mean, not insidious; it's self-interested. And I, to speak well, for our readers, I mean, they... insidious means that they they don't disclose it. Like remember when Bell said that they were going to start tracking its mobile and internet users to more accurately. Uh, provide ads to them i mean they came out and actually released a press release about it because they said that this was in their customers best interest they're going to be shown ads anyway they might as well be shown the right ads and people were up in arms about it because they had no choice they had to opt out rather than opt in yeah and some of that's some of that's you know just best intentions but no um what's what's the word not exposure but uh like a sense of uh, openness with what your intentions are. 
uh, I can't remember the words. It's Friday, guys. Sorry, but um, you know we're in a situation where the the big three carriers have to be not only monitored by the CRTC but be provided with a report card on how well they're following the wireless code of conduct in terms of actually allowing people to um, change their contracts without 30 days. Like you, like if you want to cut uh, service. You still have to fight with the carrier, tooth and nail, because that's their business. And they know that if they make it as difficult as possible, they're, you're more likely to stay, and they're more likely to make money. So when it comes to things like whether or not they're uh, a dumb pipe and believing anything that the CEOs of these companies publicly say, of, of course they don't. Because um, you know, as recently as a year and a half ago, they were not arguing, oh, hey, we're just a, a dumb pipe and we want to add service on top of this. They're saying we are going to fight tooth and nail to not be a dumb pipe. Like, six years ago, they, they were creating their own walled gardens because they wanted to own this. They've been fighting that for years and years and years. So, to- No, they gave up on that a long time ago. I mean, showing, like, especially this week showed that Rogers does not believe that they can do everything themselves. That they need companies like Vice. So the, the $100 million deal with Vice was an interesting one because it showed that Rogers cannot create compelling content on their own. They know that they weren't going to create their own, uh, you know, NFL. They, they weren't going to create what was it like X XFL? Daniel, and, Daniel. They don't care about the creation of content. They care about the ownership of content. They, so they sign up. They sign an agreement with Vice to get content for them. In the same way that they sign license agreements to get all the content that HBO or Showtime or any like they care about owning the content because then they get to own. That's the exactly users. what I'm saying, and that's the right way to do it. But that's not being because, that's, a, that's different from being a dumb pipe if you own all the services. But being that's a dumb Rogers pipe Media is a, is a utility. Oh, that's Rogers Media because there's a difference between all the companies. Okay, Doug, I'm not. I'm, I'm saying. I'm saying the way that the company is 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 set up. Okay, yeah. the CRTC limits Rogers from having certain exclusive, uh, you know, deals with with uh, its BDUs. So. We've done this. We've we've talked about this before. What I'm saying is that Rogers is doing a good job separating its network stuff, which it believes does it, it, it which it believes it does very well, from its content stuff. Total bullshit. Which it, they own the sports teams, they own the sports networks, they own the cable, they own the internet, they own the telephony. There's there's no like any separation is only in a legalistic term and functionally is just not true. I don't believe that for a second. You can't, you, like, you, there's, there's no evidence to the contrary of that. No, there is, there is evidence. I mean, I don't disagree with you. The, the, the fact that Rogers and Bell are so heavily vertically integrated is terrifying. And I'm not, I'm not agreeing that it's the right thing to do. I think that there should be legal limits to how much uh, the, to how much they can be vertically integrated because I agree with you. So then what sense the are you that, saying that they're doing a good job keeping it separate when it's obvious that they're not? Okay, Se- separate was... Uh, what I meant by separation was not the fact that they are physically separate in the sense that Rogers Media does not talk to Rogers Cable or Rogers Wireless and that they're completely siloed, but that they are focusing on improving those parts of the company separately and then integrating them in a way that a vertically integrated company company believes okay. that it should. That's what I'm saying they're doing well. I'm not saying that it should happen the way that they're doing it, okay. but I'm saying that the, the networks are increasing in capacity as much as the prices are increasing. I'll be the first to admit it. 
I'm not defending Roger's business practices. What I'm saying is that Roger's 3.0 seems to be about checking off a list of customer grievances slowly but surely and then providing them better value for the extremely high amount of money that they spend every no. month. Okay, I, yeah, I, I'll agree with that. that. That makes more sense because you're saying essentially that if they're going to be a monopoly, they want to be the monopoly that people enjoy rather than a Comcast situation where they just buy out the market and then don't improve. And then just ignore it. Yeah, exactly. I, I, so I, I understand that, that difference, but I'm, you know, there is still an issue with them essentially being Hydra where like you just <laughs> cut off one head and two more pop up. Um, but I, I do take your point that they actually are, each of their separate entities are, are doing very well at, at least improving their offerings incrementally in right. response to this because I think partially because we do have the CRTC poking them with a stick every so often in small ways towards that. But when you have a situation where you have show me executives in the room with Rogers, when Rogers is negotiating their content agreements, like that's, that's, that's not even like vertical separation. That's literally them creating a shell company with a different name to prevent someone like Netflix from disrupting one of their core businesses. Yeah. So show me is interesting because like we've been testing it this week. It's actually a really good product. Just objectively, if you were a customer choosing between Netflix and uh, show me in Canada and you had to compare the content from each one, I actually think show me has a better selection. Uh, Not, not, not necessarily of television shows, but of movies. They have a, a, great selection of pre-2012 movies yeah um and their television shows are interesting they're not better but they do have things like parks and rec and uh uh 30 rock and they have some amazing bbc shows like black mirror which is my favorite show of all time yeah i think black mirror is required watching for anybody who's interested in sci-fi and they're the only canadian company that actually offers black mirror and a bunch of other bbc america programming um and uh, I think that that's, that's actually quite interesting, not only from a business perspective. And I know a lot of people are down about the fact that it's only being offered to Bell or to Rogers and uh, sure. Shaw customers at the beginning. And you and I had this argument earlier this week that it shouldn't be a beta because it's a paid beta and blah, blah, blah. But also whatever. the first I mean, time that, that you try to use it, it totally broke. No, I, I tried to airplay it onto an Apple TV and that just goes back to a selfish restriction that that uh, companies should never have what about that what about that website it kept sending you to when you try to launch it oh that was that was a bug in its in its ipad app yeah that was that was pretty stupid they um uh it would send me to like an empty http uh address anyway we should probably move on because there's a ton of stuff that we haven't talked about yet uh show me is probably the least interesting product this week and that's saying something because show me is actually quite interesting and we're going to do a comparison to that and netflix and i really just want to discourage people from telling people to just buy it at vpn just just use unblock.us it's so easy 99 percent of canadians have no idea how to use a vpn yeah so suggesting that my mom downloads surf easy or or unblock.us and oh connect God. to the u.s netflix is 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 not even a it's not even a question. It's like a. It's so far from reality that that shouldn't even be brought up. It's a pain in the arse for someone who knows what they're doing. 
That's and why it, it doesn't even work half the time. On episode 19, I believe I suggested that I would do it for my mom. As all mobile syrup readers have an obligation to do it for the mom. Um, but yeah, Ooh. I agree. For the mom. Do it for, do the, it for mom. the mom. Okay, yes. yeah. Clean, clean, clean the dishes. Um, uh, take, out, take out the trash. But we have loads uh, of devices to talk about that are collecting your data. So Yeah, let's, let's, let's talk, talk about, about um, the Nexus 9 and uh, the Nexus prog- pr- program in general. So I reviewed the Nexus 9 this week. Uh, the embargo was Monday at 1 p.m., I uh, received a ver- an updated version of the software at s- on Sunday at 4 p.m. That fixed a bunch of bugs that I'd experienced since I got the device a week before. And it completely changed the way the device worked. The battery life was better immediately, and I've used it this week, and has it- that's been reinforced. Uh, there's a bunch of other things that got fixed. There are a few problems with the device, and I acknowledge them in the review but i also said that i think this is the best android device you can buy on the on the market today uh, and lollipop itself is just worth the investment yeah. uh it's just beautiful and it works really well so i jane you also have a nexus 9 have you uh have you found the same it's like i go back to the same tablet conversation that we have every week which is that it's like my sunday car i feel so like it feels so unnecessary but i love using it and it's the same way i felt when i bought like the first generation ipad it's like like I don't need this, but using it, you're just like, oh, this is so nice. Like this what the hell is, is a so Sunday big. car? Sunday car is a car that you own specifically only to drive on, drive on Sundays because it has no boot and only is two seater, and yeah, it's just basically very impractical and unnecessary. Ah, okay. But yeah, no, I I I agree. I think it's the best Android tablet out there, and uh, I am very glad that I have one to test because I definitely wouldn't buy one because I couldn't justify it. But yeah. And Doug, you're, you you just finished with the I, iPad Mini three, and uh, you liked it. I think you said it was one of your favorite devices. Yeah, well, so I had the opposite of experience with that. Whereas I come into tablets generally being like, I guess what Jane's saying is like, I, I don't really have a uh, use for this, or it would just be uh, a luxury add on because I you know I yeah. rock between a very portable phone and then a very light laptop, which I just you know make it work. Whereas with the Mini, really, to me, hit a sweet spot where I could actually leave the laptop behind and I felt, you know, use the Mini as a primary content device yeah. in a lot of different use cases. Because it was, it was big enough, it was small enough, and it was very comfortable in every environment. So um, I, I was definitely really surprised at how much I liked it and how much I liked using it in a way that generally... Because even just like... It's this weird thing between, like, I have a Samsung tab, which is essentially, like, the same size, but that, but that just that, that balancing between the weight of it and the aspect ratios and how it fits in your hand, you know, I would have to force myself to read an ebook on the tab. Yeah, but and even I, reading I, your I, review, it sounded so much like you... It did sound like the Sunday car scenario when you were like, oh, even like just like cuddling up in bed, like instead of my laptop, I would use the iPad. And it sounded so like, isn't this a nice luxury to have as opposed to I need this device in my life because I need it. Being able to watch TV in bed is universally considered a luxury. No, well, I know. I, 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 you know what I mean? But but I, I think that the point was is that I wasn't looking for reasons to use it. Mm. I was actively using it instead of uh, of my laptop. But you're also and- actively using it instead of other devices that would have done. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Just fine on their own. Uh, yeah, but, but then I also don't have to carry those devices around. So like today, I was out and about and but I you... carried the Mini with me the whole day and used it as my... As my device, which is, means I don't have to carry a laptop bag. I don't have to worry about a charger. Like, there is... It is... But that's because you weren't working today. There. So in I your every... Work. in your every, no, I, I mean, wasn't working for mobile syrup doesn't mean I, was, I wasn't working. No, because, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, don't, you, don't throw them under the bus there, Jane. No, but I no, mean, but, you weren't... You didn't have a need for your laptop today. If you were setting out to write, like, your 2,000-word review, you wouldn't say, hey, I'm just going to leave my laptop at home and use the iPad mini. Okay, but... So, well, first of all, Jane, not having an understanding of what I did today. Um, what do you mean? So, but, but, yeah, so if I need to sit down and write something for X amount of hours, of, for, of course I'm going to use a laptop. The problem was, or the difference being, um, I was all around the city today, and I needed to be digitally connected, and I, I wanted to be very... That's horrible. what I mean by not working. Normally, I mean, you I weren't have... in, like, productivity mode, like, sitting at a desk, like email like content like in word like word processing like you weren't in like traditional office mode yes so jane what i'm saying is normally when i'm not in that mode i have to carry around a laptop because it's the thing that i need to do all the other stuff with in addition to the heavy productivity with the mini i don't have to carry my laptop to do the things uh, to just to have it to do those other things I, I can take something that is actually a superior experience for anything other than, you know, writing a 2,000-word review. And actually, one of the things that I, I discovered with the Mini was that it's actually, uh, the width is perfect for two-handed typing. So it was actually a device, um, I did write a few posts on the Mini. Uh, and it, and it like, because Daniel talks all the time about, like, um, mobily writing posts, using the WordPress app and things like that. And I'm always like, ew. Well, I ugh, can't even comprehend doing that. But I was actually able to do it uh, with this just because it didn't feel like I was trying to force the issue. It, it was like, okay. So if, if, if it's a – obviously, you know, having a third internet-connected device is a luxury. But if it – I feel it actually found a place between uh, a big thing that I have to carry around because it lets me do the stuff that I need to and a phone that you're using for just data connection. Um, whether that now whether that hits for a lot of other people like obviously I have a a four inch phone <laughs> uh, so I'm not I'm not carrying around a phablet right but I could I if even if I had the iPhone six I would still love to have a mini yeah so I think um, the argument about productivity and iPads come or tablets in general comes back to whether you consider word pressing, word pressing, word processing productivity or whether your barometer for productivity is larger than that. So I often deride the fact that I can't really reproduce my WordPress experience because you can't format your posts the same way. It's not WYSIWYG, it's all HTML and 
with the WordPress app, it's very difficult to place a, an image in the right place and to do block quotes, and you have to anticipate the way that it'll look. Whereas with the WordPress editor on a desktop, it just feels a lot easier. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily the fact that I don't type as quickly on an iPad. I'm fine with that for shorter posts. It's that I don't have as much control over the experience as I would on the desktop. And I think that comes down to, and I think that's why Markdown was has become so popular in mobile word processing with apps like editorial and drafts and things like that. Because if you, if you've mastered Markdown, it's, it's almost like a shorthand. You can, you can write in code and have the WordPress processor Mm -hmm. uh, anticipate and, and turn that into actual HTML. Uh, But I haven't mastered that. And I, I don't know if you have, but I, I'd, I'd like to kind of start doing that because as tablets get more powerful and the Nexus nine is a good example of that, or the iPad mini three, they're good examples of desktop-like products where the, the processors are fast enough that you can do things on them that you would on a desktop or a laptop, but it's uh, just way more portable. So now, so just two questions with that. Do you, do you feel that your comfort is, A, maybe based upon having uh, a mouse-slash-trackpad input method? And B, how much of the difference is between like the the form factor not working and B or, or just uh, WordPress not having their app up to their website level in terms of functionality. Yeah, I mean there is a couple there 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 is a community of, of third party WordPress apps or WordPress compatible apps on the iPad. Uh, one of which I've used many times but I can't remember the name that allows you to kind of drag and drop images and things like that that we do on the WordPress laptop app or the the desktop version, but it's never quite as seamless as it is. You know, I have a workflow where I'll take a photo on my phone or using my DSLR and I'll upload it to Dropbox and that'll show up in my taskbar on my Mac and then I'll just drag it into WordPress and that's how I put in I, I put photos in. With the iPad, you can't do that. It's not nearly as seamless. And even on Android, which allows you to do more background tasks and have two apps open at the same time, it's still not nearly as seamless and not as intuitive. And until that kind of gets to the point where I feel my workflow is just as fast on a la- on a tablet as it is on a laptop, which I don't see that happening anytime soon, I'm not going to transfer my life to a tablet. Yeah. So, you know, I but, never went WYSIWYG. I've, I'm always HTML editor. Cause, yeah, it's just preference. Yeah. Um, okay, so Nexus Six Nexus coming soon to Nexus Play to Nexus Play to Google Play. Uh, that is good. Seven forty nine for the thirty two gig. Seven ninety nine for the sixty four gig. Available in blue or white. Uh, Jane's like or sign boner. here for your soul. That's also a color. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I wonder. I wonder if there'll be like a shit brown version sold only at carriers. Oh, like. Yeah, Zoom Jane's brand. got the boner, but she doesn't want to spend the money. Oh man, it is. It's like that's my uptown girl right there. Like I'm not good enough for that. Like I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of sad. <laughs> I mean, it's a nice phone, but it's also it's gorgeous. It's so big. Oh my god. Yeah. So um, my review's coming out next week, and uh, we'll we'll. Like the Nexus Nine, they'll, you'll see a barrage of of uh, of uh, you know 
reviews at the same time. Can't really say when, but it'll be next week, and it'll be interesting because I think, like the Nexus Nine, there will be a diverse uh, range of opinions on this phone, and it will come down to whether or not you think six inches is too big or whether you can fit it into your life. <laughs> uh... Hey Jane, can can you fit six inches into your life? Oh my god, can we go to the next can we go to the next product please? Okay, so segue. <laughs> we're talking about phones that are really nice but too expensive. Jane just put together uh an amazing Oh my god. Uh, uh, Jane's been in hell. That's on, what you should say. On mid-range phones as like cuz we we work in this industry and we don't want to spend this much money on phones. And Daniel, you just bought the uh that Sony The Xperia Z3 Compact. The compact, I, and then Jane just reviewed all these phones that are actually for an amount of money that people won't cry at. So yeah, but the phone about... will make you want to cry. God, sorry, I why, had Jane. like I was in I was in mid range madness um, the last two weeks, and I reviewed like a handful of mid range phones, and there are some amazing mid range phones out there, but uh, these aren't them <laughs> because. There were some lemons. Um, and the, thing, the, so problem, this... the problem is that they're not lemons throughout. It's like they're, each of them have like redeeming qualities, whether it's price or camera or, or form factor. But just there seems to be this trend in, in the entry level and mid-range market, which is, is that manufacturers seem to think that they can get away with offering you some features that you really, really want and then completely screwing you on other on other features of the phone and thinking that you're going to be okay with that and yeah it's like for when, when when we have phones like the moto g which are just great devices it's it's so obvious to i hope all of our readers that that's not the case and you should definitely be doing your research if you're if you're buying a phone or even if you know someone that you know doesn't want like you know the one plus one or like a, you know they're not looking for like a kind of a fairly priced very high-end phone they're just looking for you know i just want to do facebook and on whatsapp and, and check my email and make calls and even them, even they should still be doing their research and making sure they don't they don't end up with one of these kind of half-assed entry-level phones. Predator mode phone. Oh. Um, so do you so do you want to maybe just quickly list off the phones that you looked at and their Shakespearean tragic flaw? Um, the HTC Desire Five Ten name has a screen like a calculator. Predator phone. It is like the calculator that I used when I was in secondary school. Um, so a couple of years ago. <laughs> Screw that. I've yeah. seen Texas Instruments calculators that have had way better screens than that phone. It's atrocious. I and mean, the problem Legit. with this is that it's not just that, oh, this isn't like Super AMOLED and like, you know, 325 PPI. It's, the problem is, is that this screen impacts every aspect of the phone. Like browsing the web, watching video, using the camera. You, if you don't hold it at the right angle just in front of your face, you can't see anything. Vertically. Like the vertical viewing angles are shit. Like Literally, colors up. disappear. Colors disappear, yeah. You tilt it too much like towards you, and everything goes black, and you tilt it too much away from you, and everything goes white. And those are your options. Too black, too white. Nothing else. Side to so side, it's the like, carnival freak show of yeah. smartphones. Side to side, it's, it's the, the Michael Jackson, are okay. The Paul problem McCartney. is, is that no other, like, no other aspect of the phone is enough to, to make up for the fact that it's a touchscreen phone where your entire interaction with the front of the phone is screen. As it has been for the last, what, like, five years. And it's shit. Like, it's so unpleasant. So the problem is that it's not a bad phone internally. It's just got that 
FWVGA screen that one cannot stand. Um, He's got a nice personality. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that's. I mean, that that's that's another thing. A lot of times we deride a phone for its underwhelming internal specs when its externals are actually quite nice. And I think that's the case with the uh, Alcatel One Touch Idle Pop Touch Plus, the thing. Uh, Idle Alcatel X One plus. Touch Idle X Plus, yes. which is available on Telus and Kudo. No. Yes. Yeah, Telus and Kudo. Just Telus. And it's 350 on Telus and. 300 on kudo and it is worth neither price i don't think yeah just because so, I know that's the worst thing is that it's got like the spec sheet reads like it's a it's some kind of one of those entry-level flagships but the build quality is just off and it's sad because yeah. they've done an awesome job too with the ui and and everything and it's, it's one of those phones that kind of rides the line between wait you think it's done a good job with the ui it's all right yeah it's, it's... oh jesus no it's like <laughs> They made their own browser, which I think is ridiculous. Yeah, and I said that in my review. I was like, this is unnecessary. But a lot of a lot of custom UIs, like the Ascend Mate 2 has its own custom browser too. You just kind of mm-hmm. ignore it. Um, yeah, it's not a bad phone. But, That's the problem. It's not a bad phone. Battery life could be better. But it's not a bad phone. But the problem is is that their, their spec sheet kind of justifies the price, which is like the same price as the OnePlus One. But when you look at the phone, you're like, this isn't... Like if you showed someone the OnePlus One and then the Alcatel One Touch Idle X Plus... You would not, you would, you, they would not pick the Alcatel One Touch. I don't think I wouldn't. And what's up with the frickin' names? Oh I my mean, god! I've I've met people who have Huawei's and ZTEs and and Alcatels, and they never know the name of their phone. They'll say, "Oh, it's by some some you know some name that I can't remember," or you know, I think it's a I think it's a one. They'll always go one. I'm like, uh, what are you talking? Like, yeah. that's the problem. And it's is that the One these- Touch or the Idle One X Plus or or the HTC yeah. One? It's like, it can be any phone. Yeah, it's weird. I don't um, know. And then the other phone was the ZT Grand X, another X phone, and um, that was okay. I mean, I know that Daniel saw it yesterday, and he was like, no one should buy this phone, but um, it's okay. Like, it's it's a great price. Um, Definitely buy it for what? The camera? Oh god, the the camera! Like at the window. See, that's my problem with these phones. Is I struggle to find something nice to say about them because they can't be all bad. Yeah, but man, but that's the thing. I I I thought that we were beyond the the shitty Android entry levels. I thought that I thought that entry level was Moto G or Moto E, and it's not. Exactly. And that's my and beef. And it speaks to the fact that Motorola, Motorola, Motorola has made the best entry-level phones, bec- and they made, made they made it look so easy. Yeah. But it's not. It's not easy to I make a really good two hundred dollars phone. I could not get over the Moto G when it launched last year. I could not get over it because I was like, it's amazing. And then when the, the second generation launched this year, I I went back to like look at my post, and I was like, huh, like it does seem so easy. It's like everything's so plainly obvious. But yeah, you still have companies that are screwing it up. There's Doug going to the bathroom. Douglas will be right back. Um, um, yeah, no, I... but it's important. I think it's really important that we, we look at these these phones. And the, I think the problem is, like, the Desire 510 especially, like, the screen I just could not get past. But the the UI offers, like, a really good stepping stone towards, like, the higher-end HTC devices. And, it, and in that sense, it's a very consistent experience. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that... But that's the thing that Samsung's been doing so well 
since 2010, mm. but now it's coming to bite them in the ass because so f- like fewer people are buying their high-end phones because they're finding that their mid-range devices are just you know good enough, and their margins are lowering, and they're they're in the in the entry-level market they're being eaten at eaten away at by Xiaomi and yeah. ZTE and Lenovo in China. Yeah, and I heard and, it. Uh, I heard a report today that Samsung is going to try and streamline their their mid range and kind of introduce a new letter. So they have like the Galaxy S for their smartphones and they have the Note. But apparently they're going to no, do like do. a they... new letter. No, but like one singular letter that's like that kind of streamlines their their lower end devices. But I don't think it's going to matter because at the end of the day, it's like they can call it whatever they want. But like you said, people are still going to buy them if it if it does the job. Does the trick. wasn't it the Galaxy A? Yeah, and that's that. Did they announce that? Yeah, they have the A three and the A five, which are gorgeous looking devices. Um, and not bad on, on specs either, but as I have learned this last couple of weeks, that does not it doesn't matter shit because a phone can still suck, even if it has, even if it has the trappings of a decent phone. Yeah, I mean the A5 looks a, like a mix between the Alpha and the Note. Yep. And the A3 looks kind of like the Galaxy Core or the what was that old the older. Entry level phone, I forget, but the I mean, that's the thing. Is that no. Galaxy is synonymous now with with ubiquity rather than quality. Yeah. Um, so and that's what pissed me off so much about the the last two weeks of these phones is that when I ran into problems that I couldn't stand with these phones, it really felt like the manufacturer was saying like, "Oh well, it's a low end phone, like it doesn't matter," and that's what I hate because like Motorola has shown with the Moto G and the Moto E even if the Moto E isn't as, as good value here in Canada, is that you can make a good quality phone for very little money. Like, and you, and it's just, well, it just kills me that people will pay, you know, $200 for a HTC Desire 510. Do you, do you think it's really them not caring to make it good? Or do you think they're like, we have to choose one thing that's going to suck so that we can Why get this device Why would that ever be level? the display? Like that's what I okay. can't get over. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not saying that they're choosing well, but I really think it's more like like we talk about this all the time. The best smartphone manufacturers, like you can't there's no free lunch in physics. Every device is going to be a compromise yeah. in no, and we, power, yeah. size, battery life, and the best ones make the best decisions. Motorola is one of the few companies that's been able to like do balance this, yeah. cheaper smartphones very well so that they perform Right, right. So, so, yeah, they have they have two reasons for that though, because they're not making any money from the phones. Period. I mean, the the Moto E and the Moto G are slim to none margin phones, and they're they're using them as loss leaders to gain market share in places like Brazil and Germany and and, and places in in Europe like Russia where they didn't have any market share before in, in Britain, and uh, this is a way just to get the market back you know, knowing about Motorola and, and it's worked, uh, but they're not making much money in terms of, mm-hmm. uh, profit from the Moto G. They just figure that if they made a good enough phone, they'd sell them in high enough quantities that volume would get them a bit, a bit of money. Uh, and then hopefully people would recognize their Moto X and buy it and then blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how they, you know, gain brand recognition. The difference between them and a company like HTC, HTC is a tiny company, I mean, really, it's tiny in retrospect. Google owned Motorola until recently. Now Lenovo does. But HTC is a publicly traded company in Taiwan. It really has very little buying power. And they didn't have enough money 
to spend on good quality screens for a device like the Desire 510 because they are forced. They can't sell a uh, they can't sell a product at a loss. So they I need know, to make but some, what I don't some money. Understand is that and I think we talk about like we talk about this once a week regard, like and it's always about a different product but because apparently we just love to complain about stuff. But every every time like a product comes out that we don't like, we talk about it and we're like how did this get past like so many people like how many people had to approve this before it got to market? I because think we're it, very good at we're good at that. We're good at talking about devices that are good because we recognize the value in certain things. I think that's why we do what we no, do. No, I know, but I I think that it, and it goes back to that. It's that was there no, like this is so harsh, but I'm going to say because it it's Friday. Was there no level of pride that stopped someone at HTC and said, "Hey, like guys, this this display sucks." Like not about like oh we can't pony up for the extra money to put in on a decent display, but like. Let's not make this phone just to make this phone. Like, this phone had a 64-bit processor in Europe, and, and I think that's probably why they did it, because it was their first 64-bit phone. But it doesn't here. No, I know. So That's, uh, al- that's also really weird yeah. that we got a different skew. North America did, yeah. Yeah, well, no, so, and I, I understand, like, I actually don't really enjoy the, the general tech snidiness that comes with, um, like, how could a company have been so dumb as to do this? Because... Having worked at large brands, I know like what goes into stuff like that. Like I know things are always way more complicated and more difficult than the general consuming populace or the the the, the tech uh, Illuminati think things are. Like, oh, why didn't they just add one button? It's like adding that button is like a bazillion dollars and super difficult, and we'd have to drown cats for weeks. Like sometimes it's just that. Yeah. But I think Jane, what you're talking about, which is really valid, is. Like, what does your brand stand for? And is releasing this device going to contribute to that brand and being a successful company? Or are you, for a short-term game, shooting yourself in the butt? And it's not like this was a major play for HTC. It's not like the Desire 510 was a make-or-break device and they had spent so much money developing it and so much money, like, producing it. They were like, you know what, it sucks, but we just have to do it because we spent so much money at this point. Let's take these spare parts that we already purchased, slap a device together, and shovel it out. Like, but, you know, and Samsung does that to a certain extent as well. But, you know, we talk about Motorola doing a really good job with this. That's only been for the past three years. Oh, yeah. M- Motorola used to be that company. And that's what um, Daniel said in- about, like, they use those, those low-end devices that they make barely any money on to gain market share and to gain brand awareness. And it's so true because I remember five years ago riding a Motorola and being like, another Razer Droid. But now yeah. it's like, oh man, a new Motorola device. Because they followed a short-term gain model, and it ruined them until the, they were forced to decide what kind of devices they were going to make. Because they only were able to make one or two because they were struggling to survive, and they happened to, you know, f- rediscover that professional pride that you know that American-based Chicago company that has design sensibilities, you know, and then yeah. They were, Sold to a Chinese company, so. Well, and the Chinese company that we just wrote about copied the iPhone six, but not wow. relevant here. Um, the I, I agree with you there, but I also think that Motorola understood something that HTC doesn't, in that you can't make too many products. If you if you um, spread yourself too thin developing eight hundred products, then none of them are going to make any money. Yeah, because you have to market them and you have to get into carrier agreements and I, and I also think um, HTC does something very interesting it also says hey 
we're going to make a flagship called the 1M8. You're going to really like it, and we're going to ask you to, to buy 10,000 uh, units of it, Rogers or Bell or Telus. But when you do that, I also want you to take my Desire 510. Mm-hmm. No, I don't want to do that. That's a lot of that's a lot of commitment. Well, but I'll 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 knock off a fifty bucks off the MSRP of the one M eight. Okay, sure. We'll take a we'll take five thousand units. Yeah. Done. HTC is is one of those OEMs that probably goes to each carrier and says we're gonna have six phones this year. This year. This year. If you if you if you take take our top phone, one of the ones that makes money, we're gonna give you four at half price. Yeah. And I think that's another thing that people don't realize is that with carrier negotiations, this isn't just a matter of selling a cheap phone to people who don't want to spend a lot of money. It's carriers agreeing to buy 10,000 units of a device where they know they're not going to make any margin either. Also, it's important to note that it's not always the device manufacturer pushing the agenda and then the carrier agreeing. Sometimes devices are made because the carrier asked for it. Like, the BlackBerry Storm is... Yeah. Yes, but no, not in this, that's not not in this I, case. I kind of I kind of touched on my review a little bit when you were talking about how these phones, like, you know, we'll give you... If you take our top, we'll give you the other four for half price. I feel like the mid-range and, and low-end are, are more so affected by that than, than the high-end, obviously. But it's it's sort of like, yeah, when you go into a store specifically looking to buy a cheaper phone, there's a lot of garbage. And I find that when you go to there buy is. a high-end phone, like... Samsung's like the S5 was was not like was not a strong hitter for Samsung, and I don't think they're going to make that the mistake again. But I find that there's so much more leeway and so much so much more wiggle room when you when you make a shitty entry level phone. It's like it's like people don't mind as much. And the problem is, is that well, when you go in, you don't know as much about a phone, and you don't you know that you just want to buy a cheap phone that can do the basics, and you have all these options, and like eighty percent of them are garbage. Then there's a re- you run the risk of buying a shit phone. There's a reason why all the Samsung phones are called Galaxy, right? Hmm. Because they spend all the money marketing the high-end Pinnacle Galaxy device, and people who don't want to come in and spend that much money will then buy... Well, the the salesperson will be like, oh, okay, so you don't want the Galaxy S5, but we do have the Galaxy uh, Mini or Active or this, which is is it's still a Galaxy brand. It's still really Galaxy... But it, this one's the right one yeah. for you. And they're no, like, I okay, cool. I, I still bought a Galaxy, but I didn't get the high-end one, which yeah. is, you know. Right. And if you ever look at Samsung's Galaxy branding, it's small Samsung, huge capital letter Galaxy, small subsequent brand. So it's Samsung Galaxy Note yep. 4, Samsung Galaxy yeah. Alpha, and everything is Galaxy first. So that when you go into a store, it's not, I want an Android it's I want a Samsung or I want yeah. a Galaxy, and that's the same well, thing. It's a Galaxy is an iPhone to, yeah. to Samsung. It's not, it's not Apple. It's well, and it's really smart Galaxy. because as long as they're pouring money into the Galaxy brand, they can they can whiff on a device or two, as long as people are still loving Galaxies. When HTC is like our, the One M8 is our flagship device, if that doesn't sell well, that's why quarter to quarter following HTC's reports is always like oh what are they going to be this quarter because they're so dependent upon those devices whereas samsung is large enough to survive a whiff yeah and i find it interesting that samsung will take its galaxy brand and apply it to pretty much anything because they've done so well in the galaxy s and the galaxy note that they can Mm -hmm. they they use 
the Galaxy brand to strengthen to strengthen their lower end devices, whereas yeah. HTC would never dream of right. putting the one brand on like a low end desire phone. Well, okay, so that's an interesting topic that we got into uh, in New York about the Desire I and how they really struggled to figure out where that fit in the Desire line because it was more like a one than it was Mm -hmm. a Desire. But it was also plastic, but it was high-end plastic, and it was the same specs as the one M8, but the E8, the one that was the plastic Galaxy S... Sorry, the plastic one M8 that was released in, I think, the U.S. on Sprint and in a bunch of European countries was a mistake, and the Desire I was meant... So even HTC doesn't often know what they're doing, and they admit this. They, they admit as much. Well, when you, when you uh, pay Robert Downey also... Jr. a bajillion dollars to run your marketing, it means you don't understand anything about marketing. If there's one thing that we can note about Samsung, regardless of their, their business model or whatever, they, they have the marketing down to a level of Apple's. Like, they know how to do that, and, like... We're talking about the difference between a Desire I, a 1M8. Like, every HTC phone sounds stupid. It sounds ridiculous. That's how we got on this conversation with the, the ZTE Plus 1X Championship Edition. Like, that's no, you're not building a brand. Yep. There's engineers running the company. But Galaxy sounds better? It's at least something that it's... It's, it's one word it's, and it's uniform across the brand. That's yes, like, it's specific enough to remember. Line now. And it's vague enough that they can do whatever the hell they want with it. Uh, yeah, I disagree. But, I mean, that's that's just pre- that's personal What preference. does the I mean in iPhone? No, it Idiot. means internet. It came from the iMac when they were pushing uh, internet-connected devices. But it was ubiquitous enough or generic enough that they were able to extend it to all models, that people wanted the I whatever. The Galaxy's mm-hmm. that for Samsung. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, we're not marketers, so I, I, I mean, I'm not certainly familiar with how a company decides on its names. But, uh, you know, the Galaxy Alpha to me is, it sounds very... Uh, uninspired i don't understand why what is what is alpha see what does that mean when i galaxy alpha is it the i was thinking about it today then why is it the alpha today when i was writing about the galaxy s6 slash project zero slash whatever they're calling it tomorrow and i was thinking about the how the alpha was the first metal one that they made and i was like yeah that makes sense because it's their it's their first shot but um Mm -hmm. i guess that was that was that sounds more like a yeah, code name. Yeah, that's than what I was thinking. Else. It's more manufacturer level than marketing level. But anyway, um, other phones that don't have we stupid have names. We have like Ex- a mil- a million more things to talk about, and that we're not going to get to uh, because it's, I think we're already like an hour and what? forty minutes in. We've been we've been trying to podcast for like four hours, guys. Just yeah. for the folks so at home. Yeah, we've been doing this since extra two long. in the afternoon. Um, so I just want to say a couple of things about the Lumia Eight Thirty. So long, Nokia. It's been great. You've been really inconsistent, and we've loved you and hated you in in equal Born measure. Uh, you know, let, let's 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 put up our glass to My Nokia. Glass is empty. Seriously, Just we, like we will Nokia's. miss you. That's also not. Uh, that's also so, sort of fitting. Um, but also, I'm drinking Delmore 15. This is a fantastic scotch. If you ever get your hands on it, I'm free basic um, heroin. I was drinking boxed wine that comes by the four-liter box and keeps for upwards of three months. 
also a fantastic decision. All right, well, good to know we have we have the entry level, <laughs> mid range, and high end phones of uh, alcohol yep. in play here. The uh, the Lumia eight thirty, good phone, underwhelming camera, and horrible software experience from the apps App Store. Uh, Windows Phone has come so far, and it's being let down in spades by its developer community. I'm really disappointed with the quality of the apps on the Windows Phone Store. And uh, that's in part because there are so many good apps from Microsoft and Nokia, and there are a couple of really good third-party apps that just make using the majority of third-party apps on Windows Phone a, a horrible experience. They feel like unfinished technology demos, and it speaks to the fact that developers just either get begged to the point where they can't shut Microsoft up to develop an app and then completely they forget get... about it. I'm looking at you, Instagram. Uh, Instagram, by the way, has been, not been updated since March. So you're looking at a, a, an app that, was, that people were waiting for for years on this platform. It still does not have official mo- uh, video uploads. It doesn't... Uh, it just it's, it's absurd that developers don't care but they can't care because they don't have the resources even android is uh secondary so hey, it's not a resource uh, guys it is so a resource it absolutely first of all, they is a never beg. they pay them the extent of the contract is based generally upon like six months after release for support it's never like a four-year commitment and i understand the 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 argument about professional pride is is one that carries over to developers as well as phone manufacturers that if you're going to release a version of your app on a platform it better be the a, a, the best version it can be on that platform but at the end of the day we were talking with kevin grant who's the uh design engineer for the android version of tumblr about uh android tablet apps and they're basically like Android developers will care about Android tablet apps when Android tablets sell. But Android tablets won't sell unless the app experience is really good. And how many how many uh, Lumia devices did Microsoft sell last quarter? Nine million? Developers can't invest the resources to make good apps with that small of device sales. I mean, nine million is not a drop in the bucket. It's a... It's- it's a fair number of devices, but it's it's also um, it's hard for a small startup to commit to Windows Phone, and I think that's really why we see bigger apps like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Vine, uh, you know, Evernote, Flick, uh, Flickster, blah blah blah. They're there, and they 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 can say that they have an app mm-hmm. on Windows Phone, and that's really my argument. It's not that they're not there. They used to not be there. Now they're there. It's just that the quality yeah. is shite, <laughs> and they don't update them, and they don't keep them at feature parity. And I, feature and parity. I, the Evernote I, app I is at, embarrassing for Windows Phone. The extent to which that crashes, like, is, Evernote should be embarrassed by their Windows Oh, my phone. God. Embarrassing Windows Phone Flipboard. Flipboard. What is up with that? It took them three years, and it barely works. It doesn't even flip. Yeah. That is the fucking reason you exist. And you don't even flip. You scroll. It's like, oh, it makes me so mad. It's so un... It's just like Windows Phone... And the fact that Microsoft even seems to be acknowledging that Windows Phone is not as important in in their own mobile ambitions as it used to be by developing for iOS and Android first is another big indicator that, like, the, the platform has no legs. I mean... 
there's it's a two horse race and Android and iOS have won. So it's just disappointing because the Lumia 830 and the, it also speaks to the fact that like Canada's missed out on a bunch of really great Windows phones because the carriers just don't care. You know, the Lumia 635 and the 830 are the only Windows phones to be released this year uh or at least in the last 6 months and they're decent but they're just because I don't know. I'm not yeah, I'm not happy with it. Also go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Jinx. Jinxies. Uh, it's because they're in the business of selling phones. They don't think that people are going to buy Nokia phones. Yeah. But also, like, if you, I'm a Google user, and I wrote about this in the review. I can't review a thing if I don't have access to my day-to-day services. I can't review it the way that I would a regular phone. And I'm a Google user, and there's no good Gmail solution. There's no Hangouts. There's no Google+. Plus. There's no push, uh, like... It, it's it's all just half measures on with Google. There's no Dropbox. I use Dropbox for everything. Yeah. And until those are fixed, I won't yeah. use so it. So it's interesting because so one of the commenters on the review noted this, and I think in with Windows Phone, it's the only time that this comes about um, because of Microsoft. Um, you know, with BlackBerry and to a certain extent, even with uh, iOS, if if Google's not there there's no real alternative like blackberry doesn't offer cloud services consumer cloud services in the way that you know google or microsoft does or sorry, google or ios does even to a certain extent but on windows phone at least you have like microsoft does offer a full suite of competing products so i definitely get the argument that like the most people use google stuff so if the google stuff's not there it's a problem but at least with windows phone you can use you know, uh, what is it? OneDrive, OneNote, uh, all these other things. Outlook, like there are at least alternatives in a way. Whereas a BlackBerry user, you're like, well, it's just we just can't do it. Yeah, I, I mean, BlackBerry's whole thing is that the hub makes it easy to consolidate all your IMAP, you know, uh, email accounts, but there's still no push for. Anything but yeah, exchange. They're, they're assuming that you're and an exchange user. Totally. So uh, that's. I mean, I I enjoyed the the Lumia 830. I just look forward to a time where I don't have to dis- put it post a disclaimer about the fact that I'm a Google user every time I review a Windows phone. But I also think that I'm I'm going to give my the next Windows phone that comes out. I'm not going to review it because I don't I don't think I'm doing them a service. If somebody wants to read. A review of a Windows Phone user that's embedded in the Microsoft ecosystem, I'm not the guy to review it. So I'm going to get somebody like Mike Temporale or, you know, somebody who works in the Microsoft universe to review it. Uh, but I just find that that's becoming fewer and further yeah. between. And I also think that if you are in the Microsoft universe, you could either use it on an Android or an iOS because they have great native apps yeah. on those platforms yeah. too. Because Microsoft is committing way more resources to making sure that their services work on android and ios than they are their own platforms because i think they don't even care about that platform anymore thanks new ceo we should just get jeff brassard to just review all that stuff but uh, so this is actually almost made it a whole oh, yeah. podcast an hour and 40 minutes until until the jeff brassard name drop came up i signed a contract and i'm obligated to mention <laughs> his name but no so but that's an interesting question and as we review our review policies it's are we reviewing Windows Phone devices for Windows Phone users, or are we reviewing Windows Phone devices for people who might be interested in checking one out, uh, or reviewing them against all phones? Because if if we're just reviewing Windows Phone devices for Windows Phone users, like 
to, to are we doing our due diligence? No, but there's also that, that's, anyways, a, right? that's a whole other issue is that if you're reviewing it just for Windows Phone users who are used to it, they're gonna like it anyway, and you gotta you gotta. And they're gonna hate my gonna, reviews. Yeah, so you gotta if we reviewed it, if we had a, a Windows Phone user review it, that person's gonna say, hey, this offers you know X Y Z access to Microsoft services. But the problem is, is that if Microsoft wants to be a real player in the smartphone in the smartphone segment, then they need to offer a compelling experience for anybody on any platform. Yeah, that's absolutely. That's interesting because our our tete a tete this week is about um, how Lollipop is an opportunity to maybe uh, disembark from your your current platform and 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 check out Android. And it's just interesting that like, are we at the stage where? platform lock-in is such that you're just you're just right you choose one and that's just the one that you have for the rest of your life or if there can be a certain amount of ubiquity if, if device to device generation to generation year to year people can actually pop skip and jump to whatever the most compelling yeah. endpoint is whether that's a phone or a tablet or a wearable or if we're just you know, you choose a service provider and you buy whatever device that they have. Look, we're in year seven of the platform, of the mobile platforms. Like, iOS and Android have been around long enough that I think most people have chosen a side. And it's hard to go between them unless you are on... a Unless you've committed to a certain type of lifestyle i mean google is as a very it's fairly flexible to go between the two i find that google is the easiest but so is microsoft microsoft's made it pretty easy to go between everything as well and it actually may be easier to go between microsoft than google because microsoft is available on ios android yes. and windows and they, Phone. they don't they don't throw shade at the ios versions of their service like google does well that's not necessarily true I think they have quietly admitted that they want their services to push people to Windows Phone, but they do it in such a softball way that I don't think anybody believes them. Yeah. Well, also, you so, know, new CEOs, giant strategic shift that we're seeing yeah. happening right now. Totally. I, I mean, mean, we're seeing that. Office yeah. for iOS and Android. We're seeing That's that. Huge. Like Satya Nadella said, he was like, it was a cloud-first, mobile-first company, and we're seeing that in the last like the last month, especially. With just the the movement on Office for mobile and and OneDrive, and yeah. about and Dropbox integration, like they're that's huge. It's ex- it's exciting. Yeah, and, it's, it, it is. But imp- importantly, mobile first doesn't mean Windows Phone. Yeah, it means it means all mobile touch points. Yeah, and that's amazing because I think that a lot of people probably assume when he said that we're a mobile first, cloud first company, they thought that 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 meant Microsoft was going to focus on their cloud services and their mobile division, and that's not true yeah. at all. Also, Microsoft makes some really good services. Like, those are compelling offerings. Yeah, Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I would actually like to see how easy it would be to switch. Because I I guess, like, my email is my email. I can forward it to whatever, and I can make a send-as, you know, alias. You know, how easy would it be to transfer my contacts and my calendar and my, uh, my email over to OneDrive or One or, or Outlook and just use yeah. that. I, I, it probably wouldn't be too well, we should. Well, there, there's two things there, though. There's the data portability. It's like, how do you get the stuff that you have on one over to the other? And then there's like, if you do transfer over, 
can you do all the things that you did before? Is it as enjoyable? Is it weird? Is it are are these just different palettes of the same essential services? Yeah, I, I mean Google's not perfect either. Like every time I open up G- Google Plus on a new on a new phone, it asks me whether it wants to sync my my circle data with my phone's contact data, and I end up getting like duplicates of eight hundred contacts every time I I open a new phone, and then I have to go in and manually delete all these people that I don't want in my contact list because I forgot to check a box. And it's like, I, I mean, Google does some really reprehensible shit, but I just, I'm so ingrained, it's so ingrained in me to use Google, like Gmail and Google Drive and Google Docs and Google Maps and all of these things and, you know, Hangouts and, and, and yeah. they all, and the photos, like I upload all my photos to Google Photos and like they all just work together and, yeah. and, and they save my search history so that when I've searched for a map on my computer, it shows up on my phone. Yeah, I mean, these are things that are, just you don't notice them until yeah, they're but gone. We, we also all have like five different Gmail accounts because Gmail has never spent any time in integrating multiple touch points. Like if you're an Exchange user, that's not an issue syncing all your information. Whereas like what I have even just today, I got a, a, a beta kit email address set up on a completely different domain. Like I can't integrate those in any useful way. I have two Gmail inbox tabs open right now. Like I have two different calendars I need to sync. I have like it's just. And Google users complain about that. On the on the the Vergecast we were talking about before, they they were talking about how, you know, whenever someone switches uh, corporate emails, it's like a nightmare. That's that's hard. But I also think uh, people need to think about. I mean, people spend so much of their lives on the internet. They need to think about these things before they do them. Well, you yeah, know? but you, so like, you you go to a new like so they they work at a parent company like a media company Vox, uh, and then they have different divisions. And if you go to a different publication within that, you get a different email. Like there's 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 I, I definitely get that you want to like go into things smartly, um, which is why whenever a social network launches, I immediately camp at Tron if I can get it, um, just to have it for later. But you're also there are certain situations where you're like okay this is this is a reality that at some point i'm going to need a different professional email address and i don't want you know another google plus profile created that i'm never going to use just because google keeps these things separate or they pretend that they're different right right yeah i i know i mean it's not a perfect solution but none of them have perfect solutions so um i think uh we we have a couple of things that we want to talk about but I, I think if you're okay with it we should probably just leave it yeah. there it's been a while i highly doubt anybody else has been is going to be captivated by two Screw hours that. Of this. this was a great I mean, podcast at least I, no this was the best podcast i've ever been in i love <laughs> you guys so much it makes me so happy that i work with you i'm just talking about like i know that whenever i listen to a two-hour podcast by like you're the like second hour i'm just like oh i've already <laughs> i've already arrived at my destination and i've and I, then i forget to finish yeah. it so it's it's just yeah. more like you guys have probably reached dinner already and you have no reason to continue listening. Except so, for our, our beautiful faces. Shout out Stephen Porter, who loves the video, coming back. We are that handsome in real life. Um, thanks, guys. Um, Qu- Quantos wants to know if there's going to be a Z3 review coming soon. There is. Totally, yeah. So that's actually one of the points that I didn't get to, but the Z3 is in my pocket. The Z3 Compact is in my other pocket. <laughs> They are uh, being pocketed and used and... And uh, and, and double-fisted. Um, 
I'll give you a preview. I really like both of them. I think they're Sony's best phones, and I also think that Sony has fucked up the Xperia line with uh, by alienating its uh, its former customers so much that the the company's mobile division is basically doomed. Like they have done so much damage to the Xperia brand by releasing the Z3 in 2014 as opposed to what it should have been in early 2013 that I don't think anybody trusts Sony anymore. That being said, you should trust Sony if you've never used a, an Xperia device before because these products are really Also, why buy good. a phone now when you know a new phone's coming out in four months? Which they've already right. said. Yeah. So that's another but... thing. But uh, if you need a phone now and you are looking for a really good waterproof Android device with uh, one-handed usage and good battery life and a uh, great camera, the Z3 Compact is probably what I would recommend. If you want to take a gamble on but, a company losing a, uh, on buying a phone from a company that lost a billion dollars and hoping that they're still around making will phones... Will lose a billion yeah. dollars. Um, it hasn't, <laughs> hasn't lost yeah, it but yet. But they, they have to still be around so they can update Android, right? <laughs> That's the thing. Oh, my God. I don't think Sony's going anywhere. They're just going to sell every other part of the company piecemeal until they have nothing left but PlayStation and mobile. And mobile will and, still be uh, like... Yeah. hemorrhaging no I, I don't know they, they've, they've promised like a a rejigged mobile strategy for next year and apparently rumor has it that that's the Z4 and nothing else so no compact no minis no XLs no ultras just like one phone that they're gonna and they're gonna streamline their, their mid range and low end I don't know we'll see but yeah I, I, I don't have faith Some... in that idea no something tells me some executive is gonna get trigger happy and be like we haven't released a phone in six weeks <laughs> go Make something new. With a calculator screen. Just call on it a there. compact. Okay. Yeah, okay. So I think the biggest yeah. issue is that, like, do people in 2014 even know that Sony makes things? Do they even know? Like, we grew up with Sony. Obviously, oh. there's like the PlayStation. Do we even? Do people on that does note, the average person even know that Sony makes phones? Someone, I think it was Igor, who um, from the Toronto Standard. Shout out to Igor. Was like, hey, what are you doing with that Walkman phone? And it was like, that is where Sony is as a brand right now. And this was like last week. What are you doing with that Walkman phone? Or what's, what's that Walkman phone you have there? It wasn't what are you doing with it. He, he didn't ask in a sense of like, why did you buy that? But he was like, hey, where's that Walkman phone you had earlier on? And it's like, that's not a Walkman phone. Walkman brand hasn't been around forever. But but there is, a, so that's not true. The Walkman brand is alive and well in the Xperia line. Alive it's, it's and well? It's actually what they call their, they call their music app Walkman. I, ser- I mean, shit you not. That's Don't they have a Sony Xperia their, their, music their... thing going on too, though? It's called Music Unlimited, but that's how you ac- you access Music Unlimited now through your Walkman app. It's it's kind of sad. I can show you. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, so Sony has done a good job making phones that probably nobody will buy. But I really hope people buy them because uh, because they're good phones. That uh, that is that is it. Unless everybody else, unless you guys no. have any other pressing I have so needs, many pressing out needs in all the mobile sector. But, but um, it's too uh, late. Yeah, sh- but um, okay, that is our twentieth show. If you if you've uh, made it this yeah. far, we love you. Uh, thank you so much again. Uh, we we are increasing in in our in our re- uh, listenership. And that's because uh, we we are awesome. You We're guys just going to kick best. those numbers in the crotch with this two-hour podcast. <laughs> uh, have a great weekend, everybody, and we will Bye. see you next week. Do it week. for the pod. <laughs>
Do it for your moms. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.